After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeHereNow. Welcome to Living with Reality, a podcast featuring archive teachings and modern conversations with Dr. Robert Svoboda, brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Living with Reality explores Ayurveda and other wisdom traditions of India, which Dr. Svoboda has been studying for nearly 50 years. For more information, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dr. Svoboda. That's D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A. Hello, and welcome to Living with Reality. I'm Paula Crossfield, your host and Dr. Sabota's media manager. I'm also a Vedic astrologer, and Dr. Sabota has taught me much of what I know. So I'm super excited about the conversation that I had with him recently about omens, which is our topic for today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about my work, you can go to weaveyourbliss.com or you can follow me at Instagram at weaveyourbliss. Before we jump right in, I want to let you know that Dr. Svoboda has a new course out on Vastu or how to organize space. It's like the Indian version of feng shui. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can go to drsvoboda.teachable.com and you'll see it there. Okay, we hope you enjoy today's podcast. So could you talk just a little bit about what an omen is and um, how it fits into astrology? Most people, uh, particularly in India, when they think of um, trying to predict the future, and of course it's only because we as humans have a concept of the past, that we also have a concept of the future. Um, 
And since we know what happened in the past, and since we often know what's happening in the present, um, there's always been an interest in trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. Um, and while uh, the most popular ways of doing that nowadays um, include both astrology and palmistry, which in India are regarded as two facets of the same thing, the probably more basic more fundamental, more ancient way of doing things was to look for omens. And um, the word omen is an interesting word. It, um, it's very unclear as to uh, what its source was. Um, many of the, its synonyms are quite are understood from the point of view of how they emerged as words including um, augury, which had to do with um, identifying uh, meaning from birds, the position or the movement of birds. Um, and uh, in just a very general, very large and uh, um, uh, general kind of way, um, I think it would be fair to describe an omen as an event that occurs that is interpretable in the context of divination, of attempting to understand what is happening and what may happen. Um, and there are many, many different types of events that have been used in the past for this sort of thing, including atmospheric events, uh, Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. Red sky at night, sailors delight. I mean, that's um, in a way that's basic meteorology, but in the days before meteorology, it was a practical way of having some idea of what the weather might do. Um, celestial omens, meteors, eclipses, things like that. And terrestrial omens, um, including... Um, the movement of the smoke of incense, the way the ash falls, the movement of oil or ripples in water, the flight of birds. Um, the, the, uh, the Chinese used to take the scapula of a dead animal and put a red hot poker into it and interpret the cracks that occurred. Um, reading tea leaves, reading coffee grounds, pr prophesying on the howling of dogs, there, um, just there's a, a, a wide, wide uh, spectrum of different things that can be interpreted. Um, in, in my opinion, the, the most important thing is to remember that um, an omen is not the cause of an event. It's something that's happening at the time the event is happening that helps us understand um, what may be the, uh, the implications of a particular event. Um, in Sanskrit, the word that's used for omens is nimitta. And nimitta, in fact, can mean both the cause and what that cause foretells or portends. I, it's, in my opinion, very important not to confuse the 
omen, the sign that nature is providing you with the cause of the event itself, because um, that's something that people tend to do. So I remember in the third Agora book, uh, where you talk about karma in a lot of detail with Vimalananda, and you're very excited at that moment about all these different omens you're seeing and you're trying to interpret them. And I know there's a lot of books in India that will tell you like if a dog walks from the left side of the road and, you know, or is from the right side of the road, that means this or this. So you can get really caught up in the details of that. So first, I'm curious if you have any advice for people as they're trying to employ this um, practically. And do you have to have a book or can you understand omens without knowing all those details? Um, I think it's probably better uh, to avoid using books and to try to understand what the world is trying to tell you um, without the book. It, it may be nice to, to read a book just to get an idea of what something might mean, but it's, it's very important to remember that this sort of language is very specific to each individual. So what, what nature may be saying to you with one event that you're observing, may ha- it may have a completely different event, uh, uh, interpretation for someone else who's, who's observing the same event. And even when an event is meaningful it's not always easy to understand what the meaning is because it's not a a verbal thing. It's not, and and we as humans, especially nowadays, have become very habituated to relying on words, whereas this is something that's might, it requires intuition and that requires us to be able to let go of words temporarily. It's also important to remember that not everything that happens is an omen. Um, it, you, and it's very unwise to go out and look for omens. Um, they should be, if for them to be really meaningful, they should simply be coming to you. Because if you really are looking for things, uh, it's very easy to identify events that really are not for you, nothing more than events maybe that are reflecting the influence of a particular graha, a particular planet, or um, the some sort of karmic connection to a thing that may not be any more than that temporary and fleeting passing karmic connection. Um, and yes, when I was with Vimalananda back in those days, um, and he started explaining to me a few things about omens. I got very excited and started to interpret everything. And uh, this was one of his first um, teachings to me on the subject, that not everything is an omen. Um, when he and I would start out, for example, to go to the race course, that would be at the time that we are proceeding ahead to do something that would often be a time that he would look for an omen because that was meaningful. That was the time we were proceeding ahead to do something. And and then he would explain that on the right, these things are good. And on the left, these things are not so good. And certain things are are neutral. 
and then started to pay attention to those things and understand that sometimes they were more meaningful than others. And there, any kind of event is more meaningful when it happens when you have a serious question that you want to have answered. As with anything else, nature is not interested in dealing with things that are trivial. Nature wants to communicate to you in the context of things that are important. And when you do find something that is meaningful, then um, it may work more than once um, for a while. There will come a point where then it may stop working, but uh, sometimes it will work more than once, provided that you maintain that objectivity that is not encouraging you to project forward a desired result, which can skew the results. So on the point of a question, I remember a number of times where I would see something and I would ask you, this seems like a bad omen or this, this seems remarkable in some way. And you'd say, well, what were you thinking about? Or what, what question were you, did you have in your mind when that happened? You know, so there's that piece of um, you know, seeing something that's remarkable or interesting or, or strange or out of the ordinary um, or that kind of jars you in your life. And then also what has been on your mind or, or what are you contemplating, you know, and putting, putting those pieces together when it's relevant. Um, so I don't know if you have some practical advice for people, maybe who this is new to, um, but how you can kind of use this to start communicating with nature. Because another thing that you've told me is that it doesn't really matter how you do divination, but you know we're all trying to communicate with nature and nature is very open to having that communication with us if we're open to it. I think that um, the place to begin is to sit down and indicate to nature that you would like very much to, to be open to receiving communication from her. And to convey to her your intention um, to use that communication appropriately, um, uh, to use it for possibly your own benefit, but certainly for the benefit of others and not for the detriment of others, and convey to her also that you are uh, that you will commit to doing your best not to either overinterpret or underinterpret. That you will try to keep your your mind as as much a blank slate, a tabula rasa, as possible, so that whatever she would like to write on it, she's able to do so with a minimum of difficulty. So maybe that means starting off by just sitting down and calming your mind and bowing down to the supreme reality and bowing down to uh, to the man to prakriti to nature the manifested universe and saying to the manifested universe oh manifested universe i bow down to you i wish to be open to you please please provide me with guidance when uh, when i most need guidance and then um let your mind be nice and calm and open. And, uh, and it may take a little bit of time for that connection to occur. Um, 
because after all, you have to get onto her wavelength. She is always ready to communicate with her, but you have uh, with you, but you have to get onto her wavelength. And because if you haven't done that uh, in the past, or you're not doing that now, it may take you a little bit of time to create an alignment through which um, that uh, transmission can occur. There has to be a connection. And so if you worship a, a deity, then you can request that deity to, um, to act as the channel for those messages, or you can request that deity to facilitate that connection between you and nature. If you don't worship a deity, then of course nature is all around us and you can request nature, find something that is meaningful to you that represents, that symbolizes nature to you and use that thing, whatever it is, to focus your attention and your intention so that uh, so that that thing can act as as sort of a conduit through which the information can come. Then be patient, and then just omens are all about paying attention. Human beings are apparently unique as animals in being able to select certain things to pay attention to in our environments, and while being able to ignore many other things. Um, so if you are, if you're walking down the street and you have something uh, on your mind, a question that you're trying to answer, but if you were deliberately looking at particular things because of some rational, you, you're looking for, uh, some, you're, you're, you're actively selecting things, it's going to be more difficult for the, a message that nature is trying to give to you to come to you. So if you really are requesting advice, then it, you need to be walking down the street or doing whatever, moving in the world in whatever way you're moving and having your mind be as blank as possible, but, but, not, but not necessarily blank blank. It's just that sort of quiescent, attention that you see in a, uh, a cat who's watching a mouse hole. The cat appears to be paying no attention whatsoever, but it always has part of its attention on the mouse hole. And similarly, you may be doing other things, but you always, have part of, you always want to have part of your attention on what's going on around you. So if something does catch your attention that you can put your attention on there and see what that thing is because nature has to catch your attention. One of the things about an omen often is that you're not expecting it. It's something that is going to be unusual. And that's why you can interpret it as an omen because if it's something that happens all the time, it's hard to identify that as happening today being noteworthy because it happens all the time. So if you're looking for things that are out of the ordinary, you have to be, you have to allow those things to attract your attention. And the best way to do that is always have part of your attention available for something to attract your attention, even while you're doing everything else you're doing while you're walking down the street, including making sure you're not being run over while you're paying attention to everything else.
So as I listen to you talking, uh, it sort of resembles processes we've talked about, about tuning into your intuition. So what relationship does this have to honing our intuition? It has every, uh, every relation to honing our intuition because this is, this is how people in the past, in the, the pre-verbal past, in the pre-verbal past, people thought in emotions, but even more than, even more, even earlier than that, they thought with intuition. They, they allowed the gut to provide them information. And the gut was connected directly to the, the, the parts of the brain that are involved in really getting a, a, a clear perspective on the environment because I'm, all of us have to eat. That's uh, 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 an essential for every living being. So um, the parts of us that are uh, associated with eating are the parts that are always paying attention to the environment, trying to find things to eat and trying to avoid being eaten. And so um, that is so fundamental and so basic and so connected to all parts of the environment that it is the most useful method of thinking when it comes to trying to connect to the environment to, to, to understand what the environment is trying to communicate to us um, even if it doesn't directly relate to um, literal food. So I'm going to put you on, a, on the spot for a minute and ask you about a remarkable omen that you experienced, just to give an example from your own life, if you can think of one right now. I can certainly think of one right now. And it happened um, when I was, uh, this was probably... 15 or 20 years ago when I was in Benares, Varanasi, um, Kashi, uh, this city that is possibly the most sacred city in India, the one that is sacred to Lord Shiva. And I was uh, in a cycle rickshaw proceeding down the, down the road near, near a place called Pande Haveli. And I, um, and the rickshaw had to stop because someone, uh, because there were traffic was going this way, and the it was a marriage procession, uh, which is not uncommon in Benares. And at the and of course there was everybody, all the humans in the marriage procession. But the for me, the omen that struck me uh, was the fact that at the head of this marriage procession, there was a vulture. This was at a time when there were vultures in India. There are now almost no vultures left anymore. But at this time, there were vultures. And this was not a flying vulture. This vulture was walking. This was a walking vulture. And the vulture was at the head of the marriage procession, and it was walking along. And I thought to myself, because a vulture uh, is the vahana, the uh, vehicle for Lord Shani, for the planet Saturn, who is the planet of dissatisfaction, uh, uh, sorrow, things not working out, etc. And so if you have 
the representation of this planet, Saturn, who is not at all indicated uh, when one is thinking about uh, marital happiness and conjugal felicity, walking at the head of the marriage procession, it was completely impossible for me to conclude that this was going to be a successful marriage. And I don't, of course, have any idea whether that was the case or not, but, but simply, I've, I, I, and, and why was this noteworthy? Because number one, I've rarely have I seen vultures on the ground, and when they were on the ground, they were not walking in front of human beings. They were maybe there trying to eat uh, the corpse of some animal. And number two, I have never ever seen a vulture, and not, not before and not since, seen a vulture walking in front of a procession of human beings leading the procession. So um, even though I don't, I never found out the result of that omen, to me that was extremely meaningful because it was so unusual, so striking, and it was presented to me. If, if I had been there a f- half a minute earlier or half a minute later, I would never have seen it. So it was definitely meant f- for my eyes and in my opinion, it was there just as an indication because uh, Benares is a very, very, very Saturnian place. Uh, an indication of just how, uh, how Saturnian that place really is. And, um, and so, of course, I said to myself, Om Namah Shivaya. That's an interesting one. Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit because, I mean, I use omens in my own practice with clients, you know, and then doing a reading for someone if something happens, literally before they are sitting down to talk with me, um, I'm taking notice of all those things. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about it because it is a big part of Jyotish or Vedic astrology. You could talk a little bit about how that fits in to making a reading for somebody. Um. Uh, again, it's the sort of thing that I think you have to be careful not to overinterpret. But, but, but if you're sitting down to do a reading um, for uh, astrology for medicine, because in Ayurveda we use omens also, um, anything that happens when you have a question in your mind can be a meaningful thing. And um, um, it's... Uh, it, particularly in in the context of um, uh, of reading, let's say a Jyotish chart, and it, it, it's reasonable to uh, to try to interpret things that happen in the context of um, of the nine planets. So, um, for example. Um, uh, you're sitting down and you're and you're trying to look at someone's chart, and all of a sudden, someone brings you someone who is in your house, presumably brings you a piece of white uh, cake. So the cake is sweet. The cake is white. Um, sweets and white things often relate to Venus. This might be something that would cause your attention to proceed in the direction of looking at Venus, or um, if you are um, 
starting to, you're looking at the chart and you're thinking about the condition, let's say, of the sun. And if at that moment the sun either comes through the clouds and suddenly it's very bright, or if the sun that was suddenly was previously very bright suddenly is completely obscured by a cloud, then I think that's a very reasonable omen to suggest that whatever you were thinking about the sun needs to be interpreted in that context of either the sun having been obscured now being open. That's a good, a good indication for the sun. The sun having been open now being obscured, that's not such a good indication. Um, in that context, I think it's, it is important to note that um, it, not only is it uh, important not to interpret everything as an omen, it's also important not to over-interpret whatever omen may come to you. And it's usually generally just good to start with, is this a good indication or is this a not-so-good indication? After that, other, other things may come to you, other pieces of, of information, other modifiers may, may appear. But, uh, but, but the fundamental question is, is this event that I have noticed, that I am convinced appears to be a genuine omen, is this event indicating is a more positive result or a more negative result. And so I think that that's the thing that you want to be examining, first of all. And after that, you can start, um, you can start being more um, detailed about it, possibly. Great. Well, I think that's been a really good overview of what omens are and how to work with them, even if you're new. Um, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Well, um, I think uh, I think just that um, everything that um, Everything that comes to you or to anyone else is part of your fate. Um, and sometimes that fate can be stronger uh, or what we call as a result of drda karma, very strong karma. Sometimes that fate can be not so strong, drda karma. Um, and it, it, I think it is important to remember that if your fate in a certain area is strong and it is strong in a good way, then even if you get bad advice or, or you misinterpret something, eventually things will work out in the right direction. And if your fate is not very positive in a certain direction, even if you get good advice, even if nature provides you the right advice for you, it's quite possible that you you will misinterpret it or you will not interpret it um, in in a way that is that that will assist you to uh, to to make the best use of it. So I think the the most important thing is if, no matter who you are or no matter how you're trying to work with elements is to always be very respectful towards nature, and to request her not only to send you 
um, the message, but to assist you to interpret it pro properly and for you to use it in a way that will not only benefit you, but that will benefit her in some way. Because after all, you're getting that information from her and it's only appropriate if you offer her something in return. Um. Um. Thank you so much. This has been really enlightening. Namaste. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.